Hi, friends. Last week, I shared an Encore episode with you on hiring for excellence with, from my former co-host, Jen Schwanke. And so I want to share part two of that with you this week as you're thinking of ways that not only can you hire, but retain, hold on to those fantastic teachers in your building. I hope as you're stepping into spring that you are already beginning to fill those positions that you have open. I hope that you remember that what you do matters. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 151. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, we're continuing a conversation on hiring and keeping high-quality teachers with my guest and co-host, Jen Schwanke. Jen is the author of You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions for New School Leaders, and she's the principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us for this series of episodes that we've been hosting together. I hope you've had a great week. It's been a great week. I'm really excited to continue our conversation from last week. We had a lot to say, and of course, there's more in there to share with our principal friends. Well, I'd love to start with the story. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to visit Norman High School, which is a high school just outside of the University of Oklahoma, and it's led by a principal whose name is Scott Beck. And Scott leads about a school with about 2,000 students, and he has an amazing staff of teachers, a very diverse community. Uh, You've got kids that are taking AP capstone classes as well as kids that are doing applied math by building a tiny house construction right outside the school. There's all kinds of really great hands-on activities happening. And and Scott walked me into into several classrooms throughout the school. And as I was walking through, I was just recognizing, because you can tell when you're surrounded by quality teachers, I was just recognizing the quality of instructors that he has serving kids. And Scott shared with me that the springtime, just like for everyone, is incredibly busy with hiring. Right after the conversation that he and I had, and we spent a couple of hours together, he gave me to be with him in that school. But as soon as we were finished, he was stepping into an interview with a potential science teacher. And I was just thinking, schools like Scott's, they don't happen overnight. It's taken him years to grow a staff and build teachers into that building that share common values. But there is nothing as important as the hiring of high quality teachers to make sure that you're delivering to kids the dream that you have for high quality instruction. And so Jen, I'm so excited to jump back into this conversation this week because last week we talked a lot about resumes, the application process, interviewing, some of the pitfalls, things not to fall for in your own gut or in your own practice, the common missteps to avoid. And I want to just jump back in this week and talk a little bit about how to value candidates that you're interviewing before we transition into retaining high-quality teachers, because I think they go hand-in-hand. The way you treat candidates will also transition into how you treat them when they become your teachers. So let's talk about that for a little bit. What are some things that you would suggest principals keep in mind when it comes to hiring or valuing candidates? 
I remember clearly when I was interviewing for jobs and I badly wanted a job. I knew I had a lot to do as a teacher and an educator. And I would be very nervous and eager to share the things I had learned. And and I'd walk into schools and the way I was treated could either take all the wind out of my sails or build my confidence. And the way I was treated may have been by the secretary that greeted me or how the people in the room looked at me as I spoke. And then it certainly affected me how I was treated afterwards when I had driven away. And by that, I mean, did they call me back? Did the principal talk to me kindly? It, you know, I was young. Most candidates are young. They're, they're new at this. And to honor them with dignity and respect the emotional state they're in is really speaks about who we are as leaders. And I don't think it matters how long you've been in a profession or short you've been in a profession. For most people, interviewing can be a very stressful activity. It's not easy to sit in front of people who are going to judge you or even possibly offer you a job or not offer you a job based on the performance that you're that you're in. So, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, you're right, is so helpful because we can be in the harried part of our days and so busy and, you know, now it's time to do an interview and we just kind of switch into that mode, forgetting that this person should be treated like a guest. We should offer them something to drink when they come right. in. We should... Give them, give them a warm handshake and, and thank them for the time that they right. took to travel there. Sometimes they're traveling long distances to come into your school. And I think a lot of that begins before they're ever in front of you. And so when you're looking at a pool of candidates and you're trying to figure out who you need to bring in, I know that years ago, and this was when I was a young administrator and we had a deeper pool of candidates than you might have so many different resumes available that you could, you know, pick a handful of the top ones and your secretary could call and schedule them all in on one day. But sometimes I think we miss out on some quality candidates if we try to push them all into just that format. Here's the day, here's the time, call and see who can come and we'll talk to those people. You've got to be more creative than that. And if you're looking at your candidates and you're trying to pick the best ones, then any to be reached out to, and they may not fit that one day that you have for them to come in. There may be some creativity that you have to do in getting them in at a different time than maybe just the one quote-unquote interview day. Or in some cases, especially when I've tried to find hard-to-find positions like advanced math and things in secondary levels, I've even done digital interviews with people that may live out of state where they're willing to get on with me on a video chat and talk to me in a committee. And so I think it's it's important for, for us as school leaders to think about how do we want to value these candidates in our recruiting methods so that we're not missing out on some high quality people because we're trying to fit them into our own schedule. One of my best hires was a, a hire out of Germany. He was there on a on a summer trip and he figured out how to get to a library, how to hook up his computer, how to figure out Skype and how to interview with us. And I said, I need this guy for his tech prowess alone. Hire him. So I agree with you. You can't limit yourself to your candidates based on what's convenient for you or your school. Well, I also think it's important not just to show them um, respect and kindness when you're connecting with them when you're bringing them in. But then in the follow-up too, and something I try to remind principals of, when you're interviewing someone that's sitting in front of you, you're not just interviewing them, they're interviewing you. And even if you don't offer them the position, you are selling your school brand by the way that you treat people. So when they walk out of that meeting, maybe you're going to be calling them later with a job offer. And maybe you're going to be calling them later to tell them that you chose another candidate. But whatever the context is, 
how you treat them will be repeated to other people. And I, we so often forget that. And so sometimes I've, I've talked to so many candidates over the year that will say to me, over the years that will say to me, you know, I interviewed for this position and they never, they never called me back to tell me whether I got the job or not. And I'm crushed because I'm thinking right then, that school just got a black eye because of the lack of respect that they showed that candidate by not even following up with him. And so the, the whole process is an opportunity for you to make a good impression for your school on the people that you're interviewing, the ones that you want and the ones that maybe you don't. And I think of those candidates, you know, going through their days, checking their phone every few minutes, hoping somebody will call and it would go on a day, several days, a week, and they never get the call and how disappointing that is. And then like you said, they're out there talking about it and they're going to name you by name and by your school as someone who didn't, dignify their time. And like you said, sometimes people drive a long way or they travel a long way for an interview and then to never hear back. I, I don't understand why why that would happen, except I do understand it's a nasty phone call to make. It's hard to call someone and break their heart and tell them no. One of the questions I get most often from other principals about this is, do you leave a message on voicemail? And I'm going to tell you what I do. And it's not necessarily right, but I'm going to tell you what I do. I do leave a message because I think in, in today's day and age, a lot of people don't answer the phone. They want to hear a message. And then I will often say, you know, you're not our candidate. Thank you so much for coming in. I am happy to talk more about this. If you'd like, you can call me back. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Some people feel it's not um, good practice to leave a message because they they feel it appears that they're scared to say it in person. I just like to give the candidate that choice. If they want to have another conversation with me, they can, but they've gotten the news and they can process it as it's best for them. Even if you're calling the candidate that you want to offer the job to and they don't pick up, even within that voicemail, you may want to say something to the effect of, we are so excited about talking to you about next steps for this position. Can you please call me back as soon as you get an opportunity? And and you don't, because you you really do want to make that offer voice to voice if you can. Give them the dignity of calling them and give them the dignity of calling you if they want to. But you can, I think a lot of people prefer to hear in that voicemail, you know, we chose someone else. Thank you so much for the time that you spent with us because you want to honor them regardless of what that conversation is. And which reminds me of another point, Jen, which is principals have to keep in mind that those number two or those number three candidates may later become a number one. They may be, right. if you if you make a good impression on them in those in that process, they love your school culture and maybe they just weren't the right fit for that position. They may be the right fit for, for another. And so treat them with the kind of dignity and respect that you would want if they're a potential t- team member. They may be on your team someday or you may burn a bridge. And the last thing you want to do is have quality candidates in front of you and the follow-up with them is not respectful. And then suddenly they're not even going to be interested in interviewing the next time you have an opening. So all of those small things that you do from the very first contact that you have with the candidate to the way you treat them when they're in your office, from the follow-ups that you do with even those that you're saying no to, they're all definitions of the kinds of excellence that you want to portray that your school exemplifies and the kinds of people you want on your team. And so all of that feeds into the kind of culture that you want to um, translate about about your school. And so let's talk about that next, Jen. When, when we do have candidates in front of us, how important is it for you not just to study them, but for you to sell your school vision to that candidate? 
One of the highest compliments I can get from a candidate after I've called them back or they've sent me an email thanking me for the process, I love it when they say, thank you for being kind. Thank you for welcoming. I would love to work with you. Your team was so wonderful to talk to. I always tell candidates when they come in, don't fret. We're good people. We're just here to have a conversation. And I like it when they leave feeling like my school is a great place to be. This is not interviewing for, you know, some kind of a job where I want them to think their soul will die working here. You know, I want them to think that my building is a place that will fill them up and excite them. And so I, I absolutely agree. They're interviewing me as much as I'm interviewing them. The fact that I have the, that I hold the key to the classroom doesn't mean that I don't need to sell my school as the fabulous place that it is. Well, and that's another reason it's powerful to have an interview committee. We talked about that last week, but the, another benefit of having other people with you in that interview is when that candidate can turn to a teacher on that team, and I've seen this happen, and say, tell me what kind of support you get from the administrators here when you're struggling. And so suddenly you've got someone on that team who is going to tell that candidate, hopefully very honestly, what kinds of support that they can expect. But I love those moments too as a school leader because it actually, I begin learning. I'm hearing about my school from another person's perspective and I'm beginning to see parts of the school that maybe, and maybe even parts of my own leadership that I didn't even recognize. And so it's wonderful to have those those various personalities and, and perspectives around a table so that that person can understand the culture of your school. And I also think it's, it's important to just celebrate why you love your school and to tell your school story. Every school has a story of what, how this community is unique or what makes the school a little bit different or what are some of the, the unique programs or focuses that this school has that maybe other schools don't and and to give people a reason to be excited about joining your team. We interviewed for a a physical education position a couple weeks ago and we, you know, we did some giggling and laughing and I said to the candidate, one of the candidates, we just like to laugh here. And she noted that in her email, she said, I've been in many, many interviews and never have I seen the committee smile or laugh. And I thought, what a shame, what a shame because we, you know, this, this job is one full of joy. And so why not let them feel that they would, you know, spend potentially the next 35 years of their lives in a place where they're encouraged to laugh. And another piece to that too, Will, I think we've talked a lot about respect and dignity. I want to throw honesty in that as well. If a candidate leaves after an interview and you know asks for feedback and you give them some fluff answer like, oh, you were great, just didn't fit our needs, that it tells them that you're not the kind of leader who will give honest, straightforward feedback. And so I tell them, and I'm, I'm very kind, I'm very professional, but I will say things that I hope will help them sell themselves better if an opportunity comes in another building or with another principal. I'm so glad you said that, Jen. Several years ago, I was interviewing a young candidate and he was fresh out of college. It was his very first interview with a committee. And he struggled. It was a really difficult Mm -hmm. interview for him. And my heart was just going out to him because, you know, I want to see young people come into this profession. I want to see people that are passionate about going into into teaching. And and I don't want to discourage anyone that's got, you know, that's given years to to educate and train and but they're just not a very good interviewer yet. So after the interview was over and the committee had been dismissed, I asked him just to stay back 
so we could talk one on one. And I sat down with him and it was and just had that conversation that you had. I didn't wait for a phone call. I said, let's just talk right now because I want to coach you Good. on better ways that you can step into an interview so that you have some context and some expectations of of ways to to better sell yourself because you have so much to offer, but I want to, I want to give you some feedback. And so I began to give him, share some, some ideas with him. And I actually was writing them down as we spoke. And later I sat down and turned that into a blog post called 10 tips for interviewing for an education opening. And I posted that on, on my blog and I've had, I, I can't even tell you how many downloads of that specific post I've had over the years, but I've also used it in future interviews, whenever I would have another candidate like that, that I would follow up with. And I would say, you know, this wasn't necessarily the strongest interview. Could I share this article that I wrote about ways that you can better prepare? And it's been a good resource that I could share with potential candidates too. Or when I meet aspiring teachers, I can share it with them as well. But the the happy part of that story is that several weeks later, a colleague at another school in our district had an opening and that young man went to interview for him and he got offered the position. And it's it was so fun to see him later within the district meetings and run into him and for him and I to reconnect and celebrate remembering the fact that he had struggled and then he had learned and then he had stepped into the next one and he got the job. And so and then he and then eventually he ended up like coaching some of my own children later in in high school sports. So it's just I I just it's just so important to see the big picture when you're talking to candidates. It's not a one and done. These are opportunities for us as leaders to demonstrate the kind of the kind of support we're going to provide for our teachers, even for those candidates that may only see us once. Well, and let's break that down for a minute. What an incredible kindness to offer someone, not just a candidate um, for a teaching job, but for anyone who's out there, you know, doing this for the first time, not certain. And what wouldn't we want our teachers to do that with a child? Wouldn't we want our students to have that kind of support? And principals are always still teaching, aren't they? We all still have that responsibility to guide others and pay it forward. And that young man will probably at his retirement party, tell the story of his first interview. And he will say, I I never would have gotten a job had it not been for someone taking the time to really answer some questions that I hadn't even yet asked about what I needed to do to grow. So really, really important because it really is a huge cyclical process. And we we can't think that it's just the half an hour we're spending with the candidate that's going to impact kids. And we have to model the kinds of... Right. We have to model the kinds of behaviors that we want teachers modeling for our kids. It's all it's all a part of the same context. And so let's transition now, Jen, in the second half of today's episode into once we've found these great candidates, once we've hired them in, how do we keep them? What are some of the things that we need to be doing for these new candidates, these new teachers, these new team members, so that they're staying with us long-term? You know, there's a lot of statistics out there about how many teachers quit in the first five years. And I think those stats are a little bit misleading because, you know, some people leave the profession to focus on parenthood or, you know, shifts, transfers with the spouse and so on. So we can't always attribute that first five year fall off to bad experiences. But with that said, Supporting new teachers and keeping them and igniting a lifelong passion for teaching really does happen in those first few years. I like to check in with them often 
but not too often. I had a principal that let me do my thing and he checked in to make sure I was okay, but he really did let me make my missteps on my own. And, you know, he didn't hover. And that's what I tried to do too with, with new teachers. I give them the professional dignity and respect that I believe in them. And I'm here if they need me, but I'm not going to stop in every three minutes and say, how are you? Because I know that they're, they, they need time and they need space away from me. And teaching is hard. And so I think it's important to communicate, even especially when they're first coming in. I do not expect perfection. I do expect you to do your best. And and I want all of our teachers to follow the procedures and policies that we talk about and when we're training and when we're doing in-service. But I do not per- expect perfection. And I think it's important to just lay that out on, at the very beginning because you don't want people to have this misperception that they have to be perfect. And so making sure that they know that so that when they do struggle, you should be expecting them to struggle and, because that's a part of learning is, is to, you struggle when you grow. And so checking in with them often, having the expectation that there's probably going to be more struggle at the beginning than there will be years down the road, but also how do you surround them with other people that can support them? So often when we're bringing in a new teacher, our practice would be to identify ahead of time, okay, who do we want to connect this new teacher with? Who do we want to be uh, the mentor for this teacher or even the team that we're going to place this teacher with so that that we know even in the, the room placement, where are we going to place them in the building to make sure that they're close to other people that are going to be positive and helpful and, and I know that looks different sometimes at different levels, Jen, but how does that look at your level? I think that's important to have teachers come in and feel like they're going to have a support network, feel like they're going to have people who will watch out for them. And I always say there's the formal mentors and they're the ones in my district, we pay them a few hundred bucks to be a formal mentor. It's a supplemental contract. And then there's the informal mentors too. And maybe that's the teacher with the classroom next door, or that's the teacher with a mother hen instinct who will find that person and and teach them how the copier works and teach them how to, you know, check books out from the library or whatever it is that will help avoid confusion or loneliness or an alienation that will make a, a new hire feel that the school isn't where they want to be. So, you know, you referenced it. It's hard. Teaching's hard. And so we have to put the supports in place just as we would for a student who was brand new to the building. You know, principal managers, listeners, you may be in a building where you can easily wrap your arms around the teachers who are on your staff, or you may be on a campus that is so large that it's difficult for you to even touch base with your teachers every day or every week. Several weeks ago, Jen, I was talking to a principal, an assistant principal who serves at a campus with about 4,000 students. Wow. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, what is, and they break it into, they break it into grades. It's um, a campus of 10, 11, 12, and they try to break it into the campus down into smaller numbers with a assistant principal and a counselor assigned to specific grading groups of kids by alphabet. And so they've tried to make schools within the schools and and they've done a lot of creative things to try to create culture within a large culture. But I asked this assistant principal, what's one of the, what's one of the goals you're working on right now? And he said, well, I know this is going to sound so weird, but one of my goals this year is to know every teacher on our campus by name. And I realized right then, wow, you know, at the size of campus that he's serving, that would be a challenge because he has more teachers on that campus than some small schools have students. And so no matter where you're listening from, whether you're in a small school, medium school, large school, ultimately you've got to figure out how do you build community where you are, whether that's taking a large group and breaking them down into smaller groups or loving that small group so that people stay connected. But you've got to find those new teachers, someone to connect with, whether it's a teacher or a group of teachers, because if people don't feel like they're connected with with others who can support them, they're going to flail 
they're going to struggle and they could potentially burn out. My very first year, my principal who hired me, she said, I cannot wait till you meet Christy. Christy's going to be your team leader. I'm placing you on her team because you will just love her. And her just saying that, it turned out to be absolutely accurate. But her saying that made me realize she was the kind of principal who looked at me, saw my personality, thought of someone I'd connect with, and then made a conscious staffing choice to put me on a team with this woman who could mentor me. And she was a darling, enthusiastic, zany, fun woman I connected with in instantly. And she served as kind of a mother figure as I was in a brand new town, finding an apartment, trying to figure out who I was. And that was key in in how I grew to love teaching in that building. Well, and several years ago, I had a curriculum director that challenged me to reconfigure my master's schedule so that at the secondary level, more of my teachers could share common plans for the subjects that they taught. And we have a lot of coaches and a lot of teachers that play multiple different kinds of roles. And I really didn't think it was possible, but the harder we worked on it, the more it became possible. And we were able to move several of our departments into common plans. And that was a game changer too, because suddenly with those common plans at the secondary level, they could team together. And those teams became such a great place for new teachers to find consistent, regular feedback and support. I'm going to tell you another thing about that that I love, Will, is think of the burden that took off of you. Because what you had done is create teachers who could look out for those signs that you might see in a first-year teacher, loneliness, burnout, exhaustion. You had other teachers who could step in and say, hey, are you okay? Without you having to take that burden on of making sure everybody on your staff was okay. You had a tiered level of support, so to speak, for your for your new teachers. It can be so lonely that first year. And the other piece to that is resources. When a new teacher comes in and starts to set up their classroom, if they can't, if there's no books or if there's no resources, if there's no manipulatives, then I mean, I imagine a brand new teacher looking around 360 degree angle at a room and saying, what am I going to do? But if you have a team or a department that can say, hey, I've got some resources. Hey, I have some bulletin board border. Hey, come on over here. I've got all the supplies you need. Then they're not necessarily coming to you for every single thing, which will just simply wear you out. You know, it's a whole entire family that you've created to surround that person. And that that cadre of, of support will help address problems and make sure that the teacher flourishes. And just some other nitty gritties too, Jen, that have been helpful over the years. I began to create key responsibility area lists for my non-instructional staff so that, you know, when my teachers would join, I wanted to make sure they had curriculum maps. I wanted to make sure they had support from their departments on what, what their goals should be for the year. But I would also actually give them a list of all those non-teaching people in the building the secretaries, the paraprofessionals, the counselors, with a list of what their job responsibilities were and who the key people were to go to if you need to request a bus, if you need to ask for a purchase order, if you need whatever it is, if you need to request a substitute teacher. And so I would give lists to new teachers so that they didn't spend their first year trying to figure it all out because that's that's stressful too. And, And I also got this idea from... Once when my son Jack was hospitalized, I was walking through the hospital to get a snack and I saw a hospital administrator giving a tour of the hospital to a group of new medical professionals. I don't know if they were doctors or nurses, but you could tell they were new employees. And he was going, this is the room where you can come down and find um, additional resources or, and I can't remember what he was pointing. And I, and I paused and I thought, oh my goodness, when have I given a 
walking tour to new teachers in my building. And so I started making that part of our induction when, when we would bring a team of new teachers in to not just welcome them back and have a meeting set up for them, but to take them on a tour and to show them every office and all the conference rooms and all the places that they could go. And I know some principals that will load teachers in buses and drive them around the community so they can see what that community looks like or what the other schools look like too. And so there's so many different ways that you can bring people in and then get them context and relieve some stress because they're going to have stress. So why don't, why, we can relieve some of that stress by simply answering questions before they're even asked. I think about the payoff that will be, that it will not come right then because every principal will probably say, I don't have time to do that in the beginning of August. But the payoff will be throughout the year and then for years to come too, when those teachers aren't lost or confused or scared. And, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the importance of hiring as we've worked through these, these couple podcasts. I think of the word legacy a lot too. When we hire teachers, that is our legacy. Long after after we're gone, people will say, well, you know, I was hired by Will Parker and this is what happened my first week. They will continue to tell that story long after you found your retirement. And so when I think of it in terms of a legacy rather than a, you know, quick commitment that I have to make in hiring, it, it just kind of changes the tone and the value that I place on making those teachers want to stay. Well, Jen, I want to wrap up today with the story that you just made me think about that warms my heart. And, and this is kind of a happy will moment. So, so here it goes. Several weeks ago, I was at a, an ACT conference that was happening at a university across the state. And I was surprised because one of my teachers was on the agenda. To pre- one of my former teachers was on the agenda to present. And when I stepped into the room, there was the principal who'd taken my place, um, who was one of my former assistants. There was my former counselor, there was another counselor in that room and there was one of my former teachers who was up front presenting and she was talking about how to embed technology with traditional instruction. It was one of those sweet moments where you got to sit in the back of the room and watch your legacy continue to watch, yes. to watch them talk about, to watch them share with other teachers from all over the state of the practices that they had embedded, the work that they had done for several years ahead of time, the ways that we had had planned and anticipated the ways that we had built support, all the beta testing that we had done, and then the implementation process, and then the fruit of it all. And so one of the greatest joys that I have now that I'm serving as a a director for our State Principals Association is, is listening to the stories of my previous school as they continue to serve kids and do great things. And my oldest or my second daughter is graduating uh, from there at the end of May. And I get to go back now as dad and watch her give a salutatorian speech here in just a few weeks. And and I get to go to the musicals and watch her perform. And I get to go back now as a, just a parent and, and observe what's happening. The teachers that I got to hire, the, the choir director that stood up last night at my daughter's musical was a former student at my school who I hired right before I left, who's now leading that that program. And, and I'm just, I just, sometimes I just want to cry. I know. Because <laughs> it's just so beautiful to, to be a part of building a community. It yeah. is. I think one of the things I love hearing most is when I see a teacher that I've hired do something great. And they'll look at me straight in the eye and say, you hired me. And I'll think, oh, I can't think of a higher compliment than, than that. Giving someone the chance and the opportunity to do great work in schools. Well, Principal Matters listeners, you are leaving a legacy every single day. It's more than just finding an employee. It is finding 
a family member, a team member, a person that you can bring into your school who is going to serve those kids the way you would want your own children served and who, when you're gone, maybe it's next year or years later, you know those folks are still there carrying on a vision of excellence. We cannot hire excellent teachers unless we demonstrate excellence in the hiring process and in the retaining process to the way that we support them and love them and provide the resources and the feedback and the support that they need once they're on our teams. Well, Jen, thank you so much again for co-hosting another episode and for this series that we're doing on strategies and solutions that work for school leaders and Principal Matters listeners. I want to thank you for taking time again this week to listen, to learn, and to grow. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.